put your fears away. It's okay to fail sometimes. It's okay to have some failures. But if you're really motivated, everything is going to work out fine. You're in a country where the education is excellent. For work, it's a great country of opportunities. The International Dentist Podcast. Conversations to motivate and empower dental professionals. With your host, Dr. LaGreca. Having a network of friends I can trust to ask questions and give me advice has been as important in my career as having good mentors. We can all choose our mentors, but developing friendships, that takes a little bit more than a choice. A good friend supports and encourages your dreams and tells you when you could be doing something better. My guest has this natural talent to give and share as your best friend would. Yet, he never asked anything in exchange. I was not only able to witness his nature around students and patients, but also, even today, 10 years after, I continue hearing good things about him from his former students and residents. During our conversation, I learned how often in life, determination and hard work can rule over talent. Dr. Sam Kayat is a Boston University Goldman School of Dental Medicine graduate prostodontist. His career started with an interesting combination of academia and faculty practice. He directed the postgraduate program for advanced education in aesthetic dentistry at Tufts University School of Dental Medicine for four years. After teaching for more than 10 years, Dr. Kayat spent the last few years dedicating his professional and academic growth to the digital dentistry industry, and CEREC in particular. Dr. Kayat loves to share his passion for CEREC and his integration to the digital flow of today's dentistry. He became a practice owner and loves training other dentists and dental staff to change the way they practice dentistry with using technology. I had so much fun during this interview and I'm sure you will enjoy learning about Dr. Kayat's journey as an international dentist. Hello, Dr. Kayat. Welcome to the International Dentist Podcast. So great to have you here with us today. So happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me, Gabby. I'm very uh, pleased to be here today. I'll call you Sam, if you're okay with that. I want to call you Gabby. Of course you call me Sam, please. Super. Sam, I'm really interested to know why coming here for developing your dental career. I did my dental school originally in Lebanon. I'm originally Lebanese, even though I grew up in France. And I graduated from uh, St. Joseph University in 2001. And, you know, when you finish dental school, you really don't know exactly what you want to do. I was hesitating to do perio. Even I used to love orthodontics as well. But I always liked to be part and be the conductor of a whole treatment. So that's why I really kind of started to have focused towards prosthodontics. And I was fortunate to have great instructor in Lebanon who graduated from Boston University and they really gave me very good advices and really told me that it would be a good opportunity for me to go to Boston University. The good thing was that the programs in the United States for postgrad are really full-time great programs. That's why I didn't want to go anywhere else. I was very eager to leave the country, come to the U.S., and uh, start something new uh, with a lot of excitement. So that's why I came in 2001. I was accepted to the PROS program at Boston University. I did my postgrad there. 
that you had in mind staying or you just like were eager to learn and then you were planning to go back? You know, I've always loved the U.S. So I kind of already had my mind uh, already made that maybe I would try to stay. Even though I love Europe, I love France. In a way, I wanted to also maybe go to France. I explored this option before going to the U.S., the problem in France is the programs are not full-time. It's one day or two days a week. Is that for pros or for every program? For most of the program, besides, I think, oral surgery is a full mm. program. Uh, it's a completely different system. Also, the fact that I got my dental degree in Lebanon would not allow me, even though I'm French, I'm a French citizen, would not allow me to work in France. would just be in France and have only one day or two days a week of studies and the rest of the time I wouldn't have anything. To me, there was no question the U.S. was the best option. That's why I picked that. When you first came, because you applied for Boston University, that was your advice by your faculty. Do you remember applying to other schools as well or you were very determined that that was the one? I was very determined because pretty much a lot of my faculty in Lebanon came. We had a big group from Boston University. That's why it was the best and um, it was making more sense to go there because I already had some education from Boston University via my, my faculty members in Lebanon. Which I'm sure you also helped with your recommendation letters and all that because they were alumni. Exactly. It makes it much easier as well. I was maybe thinking to go on the West Coast, but it seems so far, the West Coast. Already, you know, when you leave your country, even if it's like Lebanon or Europe, Going to the East Coast, it's an easy flight to go back home. Going to the West Coast makes it really much further away and much longer to get there. Especially being away from family. Do you came alone or you came with any family members? My mom came with me. It was fun. Uh, I call it my mommy moon. <laughs> uh, we spent a good, uh, a good month. It was good because I came. I think the program started July 3rd, maybe just before July 2nd. So we arrived like two days before. It was good for her to come with me because also she helped me a lot while I was in the school to look for apartments. I have to say I had a lot. Of, I have very good memories of that time, quality time spent with my mother, actually. She probably helped you settle and make sure he boy was good before going. Uh, exactly, before leaving me. And we had fun. We still, still today we talk about this time. We can't believe it's been already 19 years I moved to the U.S., Wow. Don't make me feel young at all. <laughs> well, think about her. It was fun. It was a very good time. That's probably a very good experience to have, especially easing out a lot of the fears and challenges that you could experience when you first come here. Do you remember that? You know, I remember very well the first day when we landed to Boston. I was like, that's it. Staying here now. I'm going to be at least three years. It's, I really remember stealing the plane how it was and when we get there, you meet your classmates. And to me, the biggest fear when I get there was actually English. Um, uh, really? I, my English was horrible. Yeah. What? I wouldn't imagine that. When I tell today some of my friends from high school that I live in the US, they don't believe me because <laughs> I used to be the worst in English. <laughs> in my I grew up in France until age 14. And in France, you don't really learn good English at all. Then I moved to Lebanon for high school for three years. Went back two years uh, to France. But in high school, like I was really me and another friend of mine in, uh, in France as well with me. Uh, we were the worst in English. It was very funny to arrive at BU and realize actually that there was such a variety of background from the other residents coming from all over the world. Japan, India, Brazil, Venezuela. I realized actually my English wasn't so bad after all. <laughs> 
It's all about comparison. <laughs> we were all in the same boat, uh, trying to understand each other. It, it was actually a very fun time. Coming to the US is always a very, and any new country is a very great experience. So you basically grew up in France and then went back to a little bit of high school and went back and forth. Any particular reason why you end up doing dental school in Lebanon and now in France? Honestly, I didn't think of dental school until I got into it. When I finished high school, you know, you're 18 years old, you have no idea what you really want to do in your life. And I see now my, my nephew also was uh, hesitating a lot about two things. So it's really interesting to remember this time when, what are you going to do of your life now? Now you're out of school. I was very interested in uh, medical engineering. I wanted to really build machines for hospitals and things like that. I went to France and did one year of what we call Matsubio, which is a lot of math and a lot of biology. And I realized that was not for me. Then I applied for medical school. I was always into the medical field. And in France, it's a very complicated and difficult and selective program. We are like 900 in first year. And at the end of the first year, they take only 90 people for second wow. year. So out of the out of the 90 people, they would take 80 in medical school and 10 in dental school. I didn't make the cut, to be honest with you. <laughs> so then I'm like, do I want to waste another year or no? I wouldn't call that wasting because I learned so much about the way to study when I was two years in Matsubio and in a medical school. A way to really, whenever you read, it's good to understand what you're reading rather than trying to learn by heart. Uh, so then I applied for medical and dental school in Lebanon. That's when I went back. It was 1996. There, you have to take an exam where you have 1,500 people applying for the exam, but that's to get into first year. So whenever you get in, that's it. You're in. And uh, they will take 50 people in medical, 15 dental, 15 pharmacy, actually, out of the 1,500 people. Uh, I make the cut. This time, I was much more prepared. <laughs> Even though I put medical school at on first choice and dental second, I got accepted to dental school. To be honest with you, I was very disappointed. But then I realized that actually medical was not really for me. I'm more into doing like manual stuff, uh, building things. I've always been fixing stuff in my house uh, for everybody. Dental was really making so much sense and I don't regret at all. To me, I think the two years that I spent in Paris and the fact that I missed the medical school, it was a blessing from the sky. Because now, whatever I do, I just love it. I really love what I do. Well, we wouldn't be here talking if that was the path. Sometimes, you know, it doesn't matter the route that you take, if it takes longer, as long as you found your way. And that's exactly what happened for me. And I discovered dentistry and I just fell in love with it. If you think about it, it helped you merge all those desires that you have about construction and then engineering and all that. So it was at the end, what I was looking for without knowing I was looking for that. You didn't have to look for any fun. You. Exactly. <laughs> How was dental school in Lebanon? Do you think that experience helped you prepare for your journey here? It's great. It's a, I realize it's such a great program. Maybe if I would say the only thing that is not so great is basic sciences. We're not so strong over there in the school. Maybe also I was not paying so much attention to it as well. <laughs> but in terms of clinical training and really pure dental training, we have a huge experience before coming to any postgrad. I think the experience that you get at dental school in Lebanon and at least the University of St. Joseph University where I was, was a great program, great faculty members, and you are so exposed to 
patience and you do so much. You really do a lot of work. So I was very well prepared for that when I came to the U.S. And I didn't know until really I got to the U.S. and I realized actually I had an amazing clinical background compared to other people uh, or even American graduates who don't have the same amount of background. It's really a lot of patient exposure before even graduating. And that clinical experience is priceless. And I guess when you don't have the pressure, was it a private school or a public school? It's a private school. A private school. I feel like commitment, the financial commitment here for for dental students makes them focus. They really have a lot of distractions with dentistry. They go to school and they have big loans to pay. I guess the motivation of the the school is slightly different. Back then, my class, we were 24 students and we get a lot of patients. There is no much competition between us. It's a five-year program in Lebanon. We were really roughly around 25 to 30 students per class. And there is quite a population who comes to the school to get treatment. We are really a lot of exposure and really a lot of clinical training over there. Do you have or you notice any weaknesses coming in terms of maybe besides the, uh, the basic science, any challenges in terms of the type of training you receive or maybe the style on which dentistry was done there compared with here? Not really. Uh, it comes back to the language. I mean, you know, to be to for a funny fact is actually because I grew up in France, I don't really speak Arabic. Really? I didn't know that. It's terrible. I cannot have a conversation. Maybe I will last 30 seconds or one minute and then I will just won't know where I am. So when I was in Lebanon, uh, my biggest problem was I was not able to speak Arabic to some of the patients who wouldn't speak French or English. Uh, my English was poor to start with. And my Arabic was even worse. So (laughs) I was really speaking only French. So I learned the the vocabulary in Arabic, the dental vocabulary. And then you come to the States, you have to learn a completely new vocabulary of dentistry. And I think maybe that's what we were not prepared enough over there. Is If you want to do studies in the US or any English spoken country, you're not really prepared. So it took me really my first year to really completely do the transition from French vocabulary to English vocabulary, specifically to dentistry. And funny thing is now, reading a French article, it's easy because I forgot what is a feral in French, what is like a, a post and core, like they call it differently. So it's funny to go back. I remember those terms that I learned when I was in dental school. So I think maybe the transition for the after is could be a weakness, but I have to say, to me, it, it was a great experience at St. Joseph, and uh, I don't regret any single day of it. I think overall, if you have all that, and along with that, the mentors, like having good mentors that push you to like do things, right? So you're here because somebody told you go to Boston University. And they really put me very comfortable because, especially I remember I had Dr. Spooney, who just came back from Boston, he used to live in Boston great prosthodontist and you know I had to sit down with me it's like you sit with your hero in front of you and you're very intimidated very shy I can I cannot imagine you being shy or intimidated <laughs> that's me I am sometimes but I remember that his words were very wise and very encouraging you know he asked he didn't work so much with me when I was there but he asked about all the faculty I worked with and they all gave such a great recommendation that he really made me comfortable telling me, you know what, I heard good things about you and I'm really willing to help you out to really uh, go to the U.S. And uh, I started to work much more with him from, from that time. 
and you know he made it happen and uh, it's it's great and uh, i don't regret it at all that's awesome and yeah. from the experience from your core residents because with the multicultural environment i think that's always at the beginning it's like an airport you ah, everything is fine you're seeing everyone from all over the world do you struggle or do you have any cultural shock in that first year that was the best part to arrive in a country like the u.s and realize that you actually have such a blend of cultures, especially Boston. Boston is such a great city. And I think that was also the main reason why I came to Boston in particular, because it reminded me a lot of a European style. It's uh, And that blend of cultures is something that I think when people decide to come to Boston, that they have to, to know that they're going to be really immersed in so many different cultures. I, actually, that was the best part of it. You know, I made friends right away and uh, it was nice to learn different cultures. I never knew how was Japan, how was Brazil, how was Venezuela, how was Colombia. So, so many different backgrounds that you can talk about. That's the best part of it. That's what actually helps you getting into a new life where you don't know anybody that you really bond right away. Especially you start with preclinical, you know, in Prost. Mm -hmm. So you have like the whole summer where you stuck with your classmates and really it's a small group because the other one are in the clinic or they're in vacation. That was the best, I think the best part of the program, the bonding with the different cultures. And I was lucky to have so many different cultures in my class. And I think that kind of like inspired me later on when I was a faculty to really try to recreate that mix because that makes the best students. Absolutely. Let's take it to that. Then once you finish residency, so you realize you wanted to stay, what were your options at that point? I had no citizenship. I had no DMD. When I finished, BU offered me to work for them uh, in their faculty practice, the BU Dental Health Center. I did not hesitate. I actually, I was very excited, very happy that they would give me the job. But obviously, you're an immigrant. And you start to really have your own clinical experience on your own. So you're not supervised anymore because I had zero experience as a working dentist, a solo practitioner. So I went directly from dental school to postgrad. So it was the first time that I was on my own treating patients. I had one thing in mind is I needed to get a green card and I needed to get my DMD. And that was really my focus. One of the big things uh, is to get the board exam. So those were my three uh, focus whenever I graduated in 2004. It took time. When you are 28 years old and you have to go back to basic sciences, it's not easy. And I know everybody around me, we're all in the same thing. It was the most difficult part was to get the board. Especially and, uh, part one. Part one is particularly part one, yeah. part two is a piece of cake. Yes. Part one, it's all microbiology, uh, physiology, all, all the things that we realize. I mean, why did we learn that. I mean, yes, maybe it's useful, but not so much at the end. And in Venezuela, it's the same. We don't have a strong basic science foundation. So many of those things were completely new. When I studied for that, it's like, first thing I'm reading about these things that maybe medical students do, but it was completely new and unfamiliar. And imagine in English, you have to learn that. <laughs> in English and 20 years after you finished dental school, right? Or at least 20 years after I started dental school. I know. It's, I mean, I took it my, my second year of cross. I took the board without studying just to have a feel of it. Uh, I remember I got, I think, 71, uh, which wasn't so bad, actually. You need to get 75. Mm -hmm. But, you know, then it took me a while to pass my boards. And uh, that was the main focus in 2004. It's tough to study for the boards when you are in cross, obviously, you know. You've been through the PROS program. 
and we are in the in the school from seven in the morning until sometimes two three o'clock in the morning. So it's long hours in the school uh, when you're in class. So it was impossible for me to really study. I share that experience myself. It took me two years just to get the boards done because it was just a matter of like trying, then failing, and then trying again. First time, always you you go just to check what it is like to have a 400 question exam sitting on a chair for like eight hours like that, which I guess it's the same for you. Like we're not familiar. I wasn't familiar with this type of test or with this format. So once you clarify that those were your priorities to get your green card and then get your DMD and then study for your boards, you pass your boards and you start working the BU faculty practice. What happened after that? I worked for BU from 2004 till 2007. As you know, you can have a faculty advanced standing program. But back then there was uh, a change of deanship and there was nothing happening at BU. I love my job there. I love the practice. I love the people I was working with. I love the director, Dr. Irente, who was also uh, really great at supporting me and everything. But I needed to look for an option so I can start to really unlock my potential to be able to stay in the U.S. I knew there was an opening at Tufts University. I did uh, meet uh, with Dr. Chapman back then and uh, Dr. Nui. I had a meeting with them, an interview. I guess it went well. I didn't get a job offer right away, but then I think a month or two months later, they contacted me back uh, and we interviewed with them. And I have to say, I, I was really uh, lucky to have uh, Dr. Chapman as the chairman. He was really a, a man of his word because I made it very clear to him. I'm like, listen, I'm doing well at BU. I'm happy, but there is one thing that is lacking is I want to make sure that you guys will sponsor me for the green card and I want to be able to enroll into the faculty advanced standing program. And that was really my, uh, my conversation I had with him. And even though he left, I think a year after I got hired by Tufts, he made sure that he was going to honor his word. And uh, that's what something that I will never be able to thank him enough. I haven't seen him since then. He was a great guy, a man of his word. And that's what really kind of made me the transition from BU to Tufts. And, you know, I still had, as you might know, like I was the BU guy when I came to Tufts University because I wanted to keep the faculty practice. So I used to work two days at BU and the rest of the time I was at Tufts. So they let you work in the faculty practice without being a faculty? No, I was still a faculty at BU. I was a faculty in both schools, actually, which us did not like much at all. But that was my condition. I wanted to keep practicing. I didn't want to be 100% teaching. I wanted to be able to still see my patient at the BU faculty practice. I didn't want to start over in the Tufts faculty practice. It was a good thing that they allowed me to do, even though some people, I don't think they even allow it anymore to be in the two schools at the same time. Yeah, now that I'm aware. It was great for me. I had a crazy schedule back then. I didn't have kids. I was not married, so I could spend the time uh, between BU and Tufts. It was, I think, one of the best things that happened to me going to Tufts because they really gave me everything I needed, and I had a great time there. You know, I spent one year in the UG program. Dr. Alwazan told me if I wanted to be with him in the aesthetic program, which really opened a brand new door for me, and I'm really thankful for him for that. Then he left, and I stayed, and I took his position. And I started to work with Dr. Hiriyama, which was a great experience. He really gave me full control of the postgrad aesthetic program. Not only it was exciting for me to put a whole program together, it was good to be able to really tailor the program the way I wanted with the full support 
of uh, uh, Dr. Hirayama. And that's when I really uh, became to be very involved with Tufts. Uh, gradually, I decreased my time in UG, and then I was pretty much all the time in PG. I still kept were going to the BU faculty practice all this time. Wow. Until 2011. How long were you program director for? From 2009, I think, to 2013. Actually, before 2013, because then uh, I bought my practice in Hingham in 2013, yes, actually. So then we brought in Dr. Shabib to take my spot, and that was uh, when I was actually starting to work in private practice. Great time. Tough. I mean, I think it's uh, the best thing that could happen to me because really I learned so much, actually. Tough. you know, putting a a program together, you think you know it all, but actually you learn so much on the way. That was a lot of fun. So did you have any experience with leadership roles before that prepared you for that position? Or what do you think it made you capable of dealing with that? I used to be the class rep in my class when I was back in Lebanon. I was always class reps. Uh, Lebanon, in the in the US, I was the one in my BU Plus program. I was a class rep. So I always like to be involved with things. And, you know, I like to do sometimes things my way, but I like to listen as well. It was, it was a great experience. It was a great opportunity. I had a lot of ideas that I shared with Dr. Hiroyama, and he was totally in. He gave me actually uh, uh, really full control about doing whatever I wanted. And that's why I really liked working with him, because he never really got so much involved with me. He let me do my stuff. He saw that it was going well. The students were happy. Pool was happy. The finances were happy. I had all the markers on the green for me. So I kept going and I enjoyed it. Yeah, with all the checks, like good, good, good. Exactly. So, yeah. And, you know, I always wanted, I love teaching. It's something that I love to do. Uh, that's maybe the one thing I miss right now in my career is teaching. But it's fun to have your own class. That's a dream, like from when I was a little kid. I, I hear my kids not telling me they want to be a teacher. And I remember I was like that because I was, you always have one teacher that really you admire, that you really uh, inspire you to do teaching. Uh, obviously, when I was a kid, I didn't think I was going to be a dental teacher. Being able to hang out with those students the whole day and, and share your experience and listen to their own experience because you learn a lot from students, actually. Mm -hmm. I learn it. Still today, when I work on a patient and I do something on a specific procedure on a patient, I remember who's the student who taught me that trick, you know, or who's the faculty I learned this from. You always remember the way I prep a tooth. I know exactly what faculty taught me that, the way I floss sometimes to clean the cement. One student at Tufts taught me to make the knot and then clean the cement uh, with the floss. So you learn a lot. It's a great experience to be surrounded by students and great faculty around you. Absolutely. If I ask you, and I know this is a difficult question, but if I ask you who in dentistry inspired you to be a teacher, do you have a person that you look after? In dentistry, really, it was at BU. I had two teachers who inspired me. The first one is Dr. Yamamoto, because he's like a talented person. He's really good, great hands, very patient. You know, you have always a line behind him to wait for your turn to work with him. Uh, really, a great clinician. So he really, my goal when I was a student, is like, I wanted to be able to prep the tooth and make sure he doesn't have to touch it after I prep it. And I still remember the day I did that, that he came to check my prep and he's like, good, take the impression. And I'm like, you're not going to re-prep it? 
like, no, no, it's good. And I'm like, yes, you know? <laughs> the fact that he spent the time with his students, that was really great. Another faculty that really inspired me a lot is uh, Dr. Daryl Roy. And that's because he was so much fun to work with. On the fun aspect of being a teacher, he inspired you because he used to be a volunteer. He would come only on Fridays. And it was really so much fun to work with him. There was that relationship between uh, the students and him where, you know, there is uh, no hierarchy. It's like he treats you, looks at you at the same level. Uh, he's not condescending. It's like really at your level and you laugh a lot with him. And that's what I really wanted to provide when I'm with my students, to be able to spend the time with them for the teaching, but at the same time to make the experience fun. And that's really kind of those two uh, faculty that really uh, inspire me a lot in my the way I teach, actually. And I can tell you that you definitely accomplished that mission of incorporating those things on your teaching style, philosophy, whatever you want to call it, because I remember being super impressed for seeing you, how committed you were to your students, how they were still respectful. They will still follow. They will commit to do their best. But at the same time, they felt that you were a friend. That's the way I felt myself with this faculty. And that's why I wanted to have my students feeling the same with me. Obviously, you always have to draw a line. Students should not cross sometimes, or faculty should not cross. There is respect, but there is also fun. And, you know, when I have so many of my residents, they became my friends now. So I see them outside uh, the school. I love that. It's really, we always talk about those fun moments in the clinic uh, during a lecture or whatever. So, and uh, it is a, a feeling of accomplishment that uh, really as a, as a faculty, it's nice to, to feel that. I agree. And there are a lot of things that I notice myself doing and applying, of course, from many people that I learned, but I always remember you being in the clinic, very committed and your students always being like feeling so great about you. It was really one of those things that I wasn't familiar. Of course, my director was Dr. Hirayama. So my experience of director was completely different. I couldn't come and just like, joke with Dr. Hirayama as much as I, uh, eventually I did. It took me a while, but. It's actually very funny. It's, like, it's extremely funny. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's the fear factor, you know, with him. That's the thing. People have fear. And he, he loves to play that fear factor. With oh, absolutely. He keeps it as long as he can. I know. You see, me, I've never had him as a, as a student. So when I came, was as a faculty. So I didn't have to go to that, uh, to that field. But yeah, being a faculty, obviously, if you commit to the students, like you really want to make sure that you, you teach them, that, that you, you see, you feel that you did your job. And I remember the students used to see with, who will keep me the longest in the clinic at night. I remember that. 10.30 at night. Once I stayed with one of the residents, then I got married. I had kids. It was a different dynamic for me. I was not going to stay uh, so late in the clinic. But yeah, the, the, the bonding between the faculty and the students and this interaction is really the best thing you can have as a faculty. It's, yeah. uh, it makes your job fun. It does. You will go and have to be with students that don't like you, that are not motivated, don't want to learn. I, obviously, I've had few students like that. Uh, you know, I've had other students who also were terrible clinically. Like they have terrible hand skills. That also makes it very difficult for a faculty, but they were so eager to learn. And it's amazing to see that their hard work will pay off by the time they graduate. With some residents who had zero knowledge, but 
by the time they finished the program, they were so good that I would be comfortable having them as my dentist because they really work hard. They were there for a specific amount of time. They wanted to take advantage of every second out of it. And that makes you very happy as a faculty to see those hardworking students who are never lazy, never complaining. They, they recognize a mistake. So that, that makes a big difference as a faculty to work with those people. It helps a lot the process because then you know that you they recognize that you are doing on their best interest. Like if you're being hard or if you are really pushing it. And it all goes back, I think, to the motivation of the student. And you mentioned motivation being a big factor. Some people come with like motivation levels up here and they slowly go down. And some people actually get motivated as they learn because learning is, it gives you empowerment. You feel that you can, I guess, control more and the more you, you learn. When I came to the U.S., when I had the choice between going to France or the U.S., French studies are free, basically. It's, it's free over there to do your postgrad. The U.S., we know it's very expensive. And I was lucky enough to have my parents who were able to pay for my studies. When I came to the U.S., I wanted to make sure that every day I would spend in this program, I would then make my parents proud. That was the motivation. I didn't want to feel that they wasted their money, that I had zero motivation. I didn't want to learn. No. For me, every day was important. There were a lot of sacrifices. I mean, back then, I remember the tuition was like, started at 32 grand. By the time we got it, it was like 38 grand. Uh, now I think it's like double the price uh, yes. 19 years later, Yes, um, it's, which is crazy. I was lucky. So I didn't have any debts by the time I finished my uh, program. And I wanted to make sure my parents were proud. And I think they are. I'm sure. Yes, yeah, proud, dad and mom. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I will I'll find a way of getting this to them so they can answer, but I'm sure they will. Thinking of motivation, because you were in the role of a program director for a few years, what do you notice in the process of selection of applicants? What do you think it makes a strong candidate? Honestly, it was mostly the interview. I don't know if you've been in the interview process as a faculty. You yeah. know how, how it works. If you don't have straight A's everywhere, but then you have a good personality when you come at your interview and you show motivation, uh, that was really, to me, what I was looking for. I was looking not only for that, so I wanted to have, and I always took in consideration the fact that you can be nervous at your interview, so you, you might not be yourself. And if I have to make a recommendation to all the students who want to apply to a school and they have to go through the interview process, just be yourself, because you don't want to be fake. We, uh, we can sense when a student comes in, is just so fake, try to please you, whatever. Uh, I was not looking for that. Um, I was also having an idea about the hand skill, but to be honest with you, I took many students who had terrible hand skill, but the bond happened the day of the interview. I could tell they were, they had a very good motivation. They had a, a great mentality that they wanted. They were here to really learn and to get the most out of it. So those are the students. And also I look into diversity. As I told you earlier on, I had a class that was very diverse and I was trying to recreate that for my students because I realized that when you bring people from different countries, different cultures, it works so well together. My best classes were the most multicultural classes and those are the ones I also had so much fun. I'm not saying that the other classes were not good, but it does make a difference when you have so many people that they are all in the same boat. They're coming, they meet new people. It's such a huge 
group motivation that happens. So those are really like the criteria I was looking, trying to create a diversity and at the same time, making sure the people were matching kind of like the personality I was looking for. Something I learned very well was how hard it is for the director to put together a group that it will work well together. It's a little bit like a lottery, right? So you're picking people by personality traits and culture, backgrounds, experiences. In a way, everybody can complement each other and put together a group like that. Now that I look back, I mean, I thank Dr. Hirayama for putting together the group that he did for my class because my class made my experience 200 times better. The group together, if the group goes well, you have a strong class. Absolutely. And then you have faculty member enjoying teaching that class. Absolutely. And it's something that is hard to put in paper, right? So when you look at your applications, you're never going to have that as a requirement being diverse or having certain characteristics. I think it's important for the applicants to know or for people applying to any program that there is a component based on personality that it might, you might be a good candidate. You're just not the right fit for that program. Exactly. You might have the best grades, but if you're not going to get along well with your faculty member, you're going to have a horrible experience. Being declined from a program doesn't mean you're not good uh, at all. It's really putting a team together. Sometimes you don't need the best player to put the best team together. That's exactly what I did when I was selecting my class, my, my residence, is I was trying to see, okay, how will this team work together? And how they will work with me also, because I will be the one spending the most amount of time with. I mean, we, we do make mistakes sometimes. Maybe sometimes we miss a good opportunity of a student. We are not able to read that student well when they came for the interview. But most of the time, actually, you um, you end up having good teams. And I really I had I had a great time being part of this program. Like that's really I, I miss that a lot. I know I will get back to that at some point, but I do miss the teaching a lot. We miss you as well. But I'm sure that wasn't an easy decision to make to switch completely into practice. Uh, how did that happen? I bought my practice in 2013. I, I used to work since actually when I got my DMD in 2011. So toward the end, November 2011, I started to work as an associate in this practice. That's when I started to cut down my time completely because the two days I was at BU, I was now in, um, in private practice. Then I was offered to buy the practice and, um, Obviously, when you become a practice owner, your priority change. And uh, you cannot just be three days, four days in school and leave the practice on its own. Especially, I'm a solo practitioner here. Uh, my wife works with me, but she's a periodontist. But as a prosthodontist, I'm the only provider. It was a natural decision to cut down the school. I was trying to keep my Fridays for the school. So at the beginning, I, I was going every Friday. But then we started to open the practice on Friday because I, the practice I bought was only open four days a week. And as I started to build up the practice, I started to build up patients on Friday, mostly for my wife, so to make it a pay-your-press practice. Then I got too busy. I had to be here on Friday, so I became a volunteer. It didn't work out so great because it's tough. Sometimes there's so many things that happen that it's tough to commit to the school when your practice is running on Fridays. Little by little, I faded out uh, from the school. And I'm sure that this, you're experiencing a new facet in your career right now, being a practice owner. It's great, but it's not so easy. It's not, you have up and downs, especially the beginning when you buy a practice. If you don't talk to someone who bought a practice before, it's going to be a difficult experience. 
I was lucky to have uh, some people who are practice owners who helped me, but still, I think you really have to sit down with someone so they can share their experience as a new practice owner. Because you're going to start seeing patients when, no one, when you buy a practice, some patients decide to leave. This is a phenomenon that uh, you don't understand. You don't even see the patient. You've never seen them, but because they found out the owner left and the new owner is here, they would rather go to a completely different place rather than giving a chance to that new dentist in that same building. It's tough on a personal level because you feel that every time you find out a patient asks for their records and you're like, did I do something wrong? Oh no, I've never met that patient. Oh yes, I've seen that patient only once. So you got to accept that you cannot please everybody. Yeah. And that was probably the, the first year of ownership is the most difficult because that's when you're going to see the trend that you do lose some patients that you never met and some that you did meet, but uh, you take it as a personal failure. But actually, it's you realize that it happens in every single practice. Uh, it's a funny, funny thing that happen in patients' mind, but you got to accept it and don't take it personally because now I'm uh, seven years into ownership. I just love it. It's my little baby. You, know? you see, before Tufts' uh, aesthetic program was my baby, now my little baby is my practice. And, and I, love, I, love, I love to be here. I don't regret every second out of it. That's great. I, I guess probably every, every country is different. Something that I was shocked when I came here in terms of practice is that most people buy practices from other people versus starting from scratch. I was really not familiar with what are you buying when you buy a practice. So you're actually buying the people. You buy the patient pool, pretty much. You can buy the building. Uh, I bought both myself, the building and the patient pool. So you buy the business. You cannot just stop there. It's not because the business is doing well that you're going to buy it and it's going to keep doing well. No, you, there is, uh, you're going to have to impose your style, create that loyalty from the patients and and yeah, the first year is the most difficult usually because for the patient's mind, it's a lot of change. But then after two, three years, you start seeing the trends that you're getting more and more new patients that were referred from your current patient. So it feels good to see that and that that boosts your motivation to keep going. Sam, looking at all your career experience so far, you really navigated pretty much every area that a dentist could do here. You did teaching in two different universities, faculty practice, now private practice, then you combine for a little bit teaching and, and practice. Looking back to all of that and coming from a different country with a different background and experience, if you could talk to the little Sam under 20s coming to the US, what piece of advice would you give to yourself? Learn English. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, I mean, it's a tough question you're asking. Because I don't think you can, you, there's so much advice you can give. But at the end, everybody grows differently. They have different experiences. So uh, it's a tough question. I mean, if I had to do that again, probably I would try to focus. If I knew I was going to be and staying in the States from the beginning, try to focus on the things you can do while you're, you're still young and studying for the boards, all the things, working on your green card, working on the DMDs. I would tell Sam, listen, uh, little Sam of 20 years old, that uh, you're going to do great. You're going to have fun. Uh, that's exactly what I would actually uh, say. 
Don't worry, there's going to be up and downs, there's going to be bumps on the road. But at the end of the day, you're going to be happy of what you achieve. Uh, you're not going to regret every second of it. That sounds like what you will tell to one of your residents. So that sounds about right. Exactly, yeah. Nothing goes always as smoothly as you would like to, but everything happens for a reason. That's what I believe. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing a little part of your story with us today. And if you have any final thoughts or any message to the international dentists out there, Mike is yours. It's a great uh, journey to come to the U.S. And I think uh, we're all in that same boat. Uh, we all trying to stick to stay to the U.S. It's a, to me, put your fears away. It's okay to fail sometimes. It's okay to have some failures. But if you're really uh, motivated, everything is going to work out fine. I mean, you're in a country where the education in postgrad program is excellent. For work, it's a great country of opportunities. The one thing that I miss myself in the U.S. is my family. So I'm not lucky to have my parents and my brother and sister and the rest of my family in the same country. So that would be the only thing that, yes, I miss is my family. Don't be scared to come to the U.S., even though the start might be a little bit bumpy and tough, but it's a great place to learn. It's a great place to blend with other people and to really learn so many different cultures. And I think that's what uh, is the, the best thing about coming to a different country, especially like the U.S., where you have such a mix of culture, Boston in particular. I learned so much. Absolutely. Thanks again for sharing. I'll let you go for today. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure, really an honor to be here. Thank you for everything you're doing. I can say something about you, actually. She's a great person to work with, Gabby, for all who are listening to us. I'm lucky to be part of the ACP Massachusetts section. And uh, Gabby, you're doing a fantastic job. It's, it's a delight to work with you. What you're doing with the International Dentist Podcast, it's such a great initiative. And I really wish that it's going to keep going on and on for many years to go. Thank you so much. I hope so. And it's been great working with you, learning from you. And I hope we continue to do that. I hope so. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your time with me today. I would love to hear how this conversation inspired and empowered your journey. Leave me a comment on iTunes, subscribe, and join me in my next episode of the International Dentist Podcast. And remember, I am always here for you.